so encouraged by this group. You guys got it going on. You're, you're on edge for Jesus. It's so clear. I can't wait to see what happens when you're unleashed. And the fact that you're not just being unleashed at, at, at Kennesaw, Georgia State, I mean, but there as well, but that you're being unleashed everywhere, I mean, that does my heart good as a guy who is starting to be really concerned about what does the next generation really hold as we move forward. Right now, I leave here, but when I go, thanking the Lord that he let me see what it is that's in your eyes and in your hearts because you guys have got it going on. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about like this this massive shift that I started talking about yesterday in culture, and it's it happened just yesterday from the kind of the epoch standing of of the way that different eras have changed in the world, and I'm, I'm going to talk about that for a little bit in a moment here. But I do want to encourage you guys before we get too far away from what we're looking at about that that power source of the Holy Spirit to allow you to be countercultural. And I do, I want to challenge you as you're kind of out and about, even with one another, that you would just really thank God that you could be sensitive to every prompting of the Holy Spirit and just let it fly. And I, and I meant to say this a bit. One of the things that I love about Tom is that Tom is a guy who, who really does. I mean, he just gets his flesh out of the way and he lets the Holy Spirit work through him. And he's an expression of the Holy Spirit. Time and time again, I think it's part of the reason why God has been able to use all of this because He doesn't have a guy in the way, and, he, and He's got opportunity to have full avenue to be able to do the great work of God. And, and the Spirit of Christ is doing that, uh, doing that here. So, uh, Amen. And, and bravo uh, for everything that's happening there. Uh, we're going to turn over to Romans chapter 12. Go ahead and jump over there. favorite passages in the Bible, it speaks so much to what it is that we face every day as disciples. Uh, Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Uh, or what is the good, perfect, pleasing will of God. This passage is one of the more famous passages in a translation that was popular around 1972 when it came out. It's called the J.B. Phillips translation. Anybody here ever hear the J.B. Phillips translation? No, Tom didn't. Because, you know what, he only had the King James Bible, for the most part, all of our campus ministries did. And when J.B. Phillips came out, they were like, sweet, we actually have something else. But J.B. Phillips crushed it on this verse. Because this, this word, don't be conformed, that he uses here, uh, is the Greek word that would be used of, of taking a mold and putting it around clay. And it's, it's this idea of, of shaping clay to your will by the, by the molding that would go on there. So J.B. Phillips, when he translated this, he said, don't let the world around you squeeze your brain into its mold. That's a word picture right there. But that's exactly what this passage is talking about. The product of all of this, the renewing, the transformation, 
And even the conforming has one object in mind, and it's your brain that is the, the object grammatically and what we've got in this passage. So there's a lot at stake, and what's at stake is the way that you make sense of everything. How you make sense of the world. And when you repented, you had a transformation of your noggin. You had a transformation of the way that you made sense of all things. The other month we had good news sharing. This girl comes in and frantic to share. And by the way, if you're too frantic to share and you have a, a seasoned guy up front, he may not call on you because we have a little voice in our head saying, cuckoo, cuckoo, cuckoo. And, and we're like, ah, I don't know, I don't know where to go with that one. And you all know that there's certain people. But this girl was, was genuinely, you know, kind of enthusiastic. And, and she starts sharing. It was bizarre. He said, you know, on the way here, oh, I, I'm sorry I'm late, but on the way here, you know, it's, it's dark, it's raining. Uh, and I was texting on, on the way here. And, and as I was texting, I didn't notice that the light had turned red, and I smacked right into the car in front of me and totaled it. But not just that, because... I was texting, I didn't even look up. I barely hit my brake lights before I hit the car. And so the two cars behind me didn't even have time to stop. And so they bang, banged into me. So my car is totaled, car in front of me is totaled, and the two cars behind me also needed a record in, in that case. So all these tow trucks come, all these police come, uh, all of them arrive, and, and she's like, well, and, and so as I was there, I, was, I wanted to make sure that people understood that I'd let them know it was my fault, that I was texting. I told everybody, I was texting. I, I'm so sorry. This is all my fault. And people were like, don't say that. Don't say that. She was like, but it's the truth. It's the truth. And they're all like, what's, what's wrong with you? Like, why are you actually telling us the truth when, when it's something that could really kind of take you down here? You'll never get insurance again. She wasn't very old. And, but, but she went on and she was just kind of gushing about this situation. And in the issue, she was like, actually, I got, I got the number for one of the brothers, for two of the tow truck drivers. I was able to have a good conversation with one of the police officers, and he seemed pretty interested. And everybody there was like, wow, we can't believe how it is that you can be so open and honest about, about all of this. How is it? I got to tell them it's because of Jesus. And, and she went on to just say about how she was able to give her testimony and share about all of this while they're waiting around for, for all of the records to be able to come and to clear out all the damage. And then finally, she makes her way to midweek. And I remember thinking in my head, only someone whose brain has been completely transformed would make this one of the best news nights of her life. <laughs> anybody else, anybody who's not in Christ, they would think, oh my goodness, you're not going to believe what went on. And then they probably wouldn't even admit to the degree that it was their fault either. Oh, it was rain. But that's how radically different every one of us is. We can't discount that. And that didn't come about, what, because of groupthink? Give me a break. Nobody's going to actually kind of have peer pressure to get you to that place. Do not lose sight of the fact that Jesus did this for you. You think different because of Jesus. You were born again by his blood and by his spirit. It is the case. You stand here a new creation, but the world's not so happy with that. And so what does the world want to do? Every second of every day, every beat of your heart, the world is exerting pressure back onto you to squeeze you back into its mold. You are rare men that walk this earth. Radically, you have a different eyesight, you have a different heartbeat, you have a different passion, you have new affections and allegiances and agenda than everyone else on earth. It is a rare and wonderful thing 
that God has done this work in you. And he arranged time and place so that this could be the case of who you are, old as God, new as come, creation in Christ, every one of you. And now you are his delta force, ready to be deployed to change the world. But the world wants to change you. And the world as we know it now, and I mentioned this a little bit yesterday, is a world of postmodernism. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But all of these great epochs, whether it was kind of the church age, the modern age, or the postmodern age, which in, in which we find ourselves, they all came about because of fairly good reasons, actually. And, and the, the reason has always been for these massive shifts, they have been war. And war, you know, is it, something that we don't really fully appreciate. You know, growing up where it is that we've grown up. Some of you may come from other places that might be a bit war torn, and you could give us greater insight to that. As I mentioned, my family escaped Lithuania during World War II. Uh, my mom, especially, was able to get here during that period of time. So I've got a little bit of an arm's length understanding of it, but it's still just an arm's length. It's not like all the stories I can tell you. I grew up in suburbia, and that's about as exciting as, as any of my war stories yet in, in that case. But war is hell. It is. War is hell. And, and when, with it, the, the whole earth strives to try to reshape things to make sure that, that war can be minimized. Uh, I mean, the, 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 just the, the, the massive tragedies that have, have gone on all because of war. And as a result, we went from a pre-modern age to a modern age And then finally, to, to what we call postmodern age. I'm going to try to just spend a couple minutes on all of this because I just want to zip right in to talk about what it is that, that we really do face in this postmodern age. So to, to kind of make, make sense of this, let me give you a little bit of a timeline on all of these things. And you do want to be not only a great student of the Bible and be able to exegete, interpret the Bible, you do want to be able to exegete the culture that's around you. Yeah. You're going to be going all over the world. God needs to deploy you in far-flung places, you want to be able to get your finger on the pulse of what's going on in all of these spots so that you, like Paul, can draw upon the culture and bring it to bear in such a way that it can help them to be able to see Jesus uh, just as easily as you can uh, you know, pick up any of these objects and be able to do that. But the, the, this big, big, big tectonic shift uh, of, of change in ages that occurred there uh, between 1680 and 1700 uh, took us from a pre-modern age, they also call it the church age, to the modern age. Uh, that's the age of enlightenment, uh, or I guess it's or just the enlightenment that, that we would understand. It's when America was firmly established. And so it's the mindset that does persist, and it is the mindset behind all the great American documents, behind all the founding fathers. It is the mindset of Americanism. But the modern age uh, obviously has yielded itself somewhere between, as I mentioned yesterday, 1969 and 1991 to the postmodern age. And what is the result of all of that? Well, if I had to characterize it kind of, kind of uh, in, in a chart, in the pre-modern age, what was the ultimate um, idea of God? Well, it was that we trust in God. 
that was the pre-modern age. Everybody uh, from 1680 and before, God was the way that you made sense of everything. But as the modern age came in, God became not necessary. Now, and I'll tell you why in, in a minute for that. And then today, God is merely a matter of self-expression. Or to even look at what was the ultimate virtue? Conviction. In the modern age, what was the ultimate virtue in the Enlightenment? Rationality. Now I'm going to stop for a second and explain these now with regard to war. The 1600s, on the face of the map of Europe, was the bloodiest century in the history of the European landscape. But why was that? It was because there was sectarian violence. In other words, because there were so many different uh, branches of Anabaptists, Protestants, and Catholics, those wars all arose across the landscape of Europe because of differences in the way that people viewed the Bible. And that's what brought about all those wars. And as a result of that, all of the philosophers of the age grappled with the idea of how is it that we can minimize the causes of these wars. And so the way that they did that was to no longer make it about Bible or God, but really, let's just have an idea of God and let it be that man's mind is the final arbiter of what is true. That the ability to reason, John Locke, the Enlightenment, all of these ideas, let's make it all about that. America was founded, actually, with that sort of an oddness to it. God went from being a God who is active in life and history to being simply a benevolent watchmaker who wound up the watch and let it run. And that we're able to use this great ability of our mind to be able to make sense of all things of God. But why, why did they do that? Because they said, let's reduce God and the Bible to a common denominator so that we can all get along and end the wars. And, and what, it, what it boiled down to then is, all right, we've got a good God up there, and he also gave us good minds. Let's just go by our common sense as best as possible. That then ruled the day, and what ended up being the, the, the final arbiter was reason, rationality, propositional truth. If-then statements ended up being the way that we were going to get along. Uh, some of the other fallout of that, instead of authority coming from God, authority came from logic and science. Instead of personal change being brought about by moral standards, personal change was brought about by a deeper understanding of what was rational. And if your mind would act in accordance and alignment with what was rational, then your life would change in alignment with that. The only problem with that is, as we made our way into the 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and especially as we ended up in the Cold War, and all of the horrors and terrors of what could come our way with a world divided, the world was no longer divided by religion in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. The world was now divided by ideology. It was communism versus, let's say, capitalism or Western thought. And now it was ideologies. And now some of the worst horrors brought upon mankind were done by atheists. And it was done all because of ideologies. Uh, whether that's Pol Pot, whether that's Khmer Rouge, whether that's the uh, Cultural Revolution, whether that's Stalin and the pogroms, whether that's Hitler. But all of that flared at a time where 
man thought, if only we could reduce it down to the beautiful thinking of man, we could end war. Well, just the opposite happened. The, the number of, of those that were, were killed then just increased geometrically to a terrible degree into the tens and tens of millions. 40 million, uh, thanks to, to Stalin. 8 million Jews, thanks to Hitler. I mean, staggering ideas of what it is that happened. Never mind what, what would happen throughout the killing fields of Cambodia, the Cultural Revolution of China. Yeah. An awful, awful time throughout all of this. And it, and it was at the end of this that then men started to look. And then even as the, the rise of the Islamic State uh, came about, and the standoff and the tension of nuclear war that really was, was coming to a greater and greater head. You know, throughout the, the 60s, the drills of getting under your desk as kids, all of, that, all of that then resulted in, you know what? Maybe it's not about rationality because look what that did for us. And maybe we don't need to be kind of saying that if we can just hold the truth, the propositional truth, then we can end war. Guess what they had to do next? They had to end truth. And instead, you know what? Your truth, if that's good for you, well then good on you. And if your truth is good for you, well then good on you as well. But unfortunately, truth was then slain in the streets. And now we have complete relativism even in the idea of truth. And now rationality, reason, logic, they really have no great value. And the idea of logical propositions being able to drive us to good decision making, that's actually not held in the highest regard anymore either because of what those ideologies brought about. And so if we could wipe away now this idea, and so, hey, if, if you want to believe that, that uh, one and one is two, well, good for you. And if you want to believe that one and one is four, well, God bless your heart, but good for you. Uh, and, and you know what? We're all just going to accept one another, and it's all going to be terrific. And nonetheless, let, let's make sure that we all get along in the end. That, that was the result. But so what happens then when you go to that point? So now, not only is God not necessary, God is merely a matter of self-expression. I find God when I'm on the top of the mountain. I experience God when I see a sunrise. I experience God in the face of my child. You've heard all this. I'm spiritual. That's, that's how I really, you know, kind of feel God. Instead of rationality being the great virtue, without a doubt, the number one virtue is tolerance. We're not done with that. We'll get there in a minute. Authority does not come from logic or proposition. But now authority just comes from whatever you want it to be. You, you have your own authority. And nobody's going to trample on that. And you know what? You're special and we love you. And, and we're going to respect that in you. And then finally, personal change. Personal change is now really just brought about as you have a wonderful journey into self-expression where you finally become the you that you really were always wanting to be. And you just need to take that journey. You just need to listen to the music of your heart. And, and that's, I mean, these would, be, these would be applauded statements in most of our elementary schools if it was a kid up here saying these things. And, and how does this come about? 
Well, it comes about through popular media, it comes about through the philosophers, but it really does go about through the college professors, who yeah. then teach the, the, the uh, secondary school teachers, and, and then, it, then it keeps on flowing down, until you've all been inculcated with this. You're at the perfect age where it's, you're not even the leading edge of, of being completely immersed in all of these ideas. That happened another 10 years before you, where, where people grew up at an early age, having this is the only way that they made sense of stuff. But, but any of you who was born after 1991, how many of you were born after 1991? It, you, you're completely in at that point. Right? It, 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 the tipping point had already come. And, and this is the way that the world makes sense of, of all things. And as a result of it, you now have a world that is trying to squeeze you into its mold with these ideas. Relativism, all truth is relative. Individualism, reign supreme. Your truth is your truth, and your truth is your truth. That's good for you as an individual, and that's good for you as an individual. As a result of that, consumerism is one of the massive ideas of our time. And that we're no longer looking, how can I better serve the common good, but what can I get from the, the, the common good? Uh, also, all authority comes under suspicion. You're, you don't, you're not worth your weight in gold as a millennial if you're not anti-authoritarian. And, and that's definitely one of the things. And then finally, skepticism. Skepticism that, not that you have your own truth. Good on you if you do. Skepticism if you think that your truth is actually true for someone besides you. The minute that you think that your truth is good for someone besides you, that's when then skepticism rears its ugly head in the midst of all of this process. I'm gonna show you a little clip of a movie that you cut your teeth on when you were little kids, or maybe uh, uh, grade school kids, and probably didn't even realize, and, and I want you to think about all these things in here, anti-authoritarianism, uh, relativism, consumerism, be who you're gonna be. And I want you to see how many of these things you see in this movie, and then to realize that this is just one little clip of one little movie that has been fed into us for, for time and time and time again. All right, how many of you all have ever seen the movie Happy Feet? Here we go. Boy
Master, can you see? Have you lost your mind? This is having fun. Why do I smell? What is this? It's just this kind of backsliding has just brought the scarcity upon us. Uh, excuse me, Smiley. Can you speak plain penguin, please? Shortage has something to do with me. Do you not understand that we can only survive here when we're in harmony? Even your foreign friends lead us into your easy ways. You offend the great Gwyn. You invite him to withhold his bounty. He rules the season. Give up. I think I'll take him away. Wait a minute. Happy feet can't cause a famine. Yeah. If thy kind of pagan display did not cause it, then what did? I think it comes from outside, way beyond the ice. There are things out there, things we don't understand. Mysteries. Mind-boggling mysteries. Mystic beings. Yeah, aliens. Hey, no, aliens. I hear they're smart. He's insane. No, right. they might be smarter than all of us. Who knows? He drove the fish away, and now he's renting this rubbish. Hey, hey, that's a big joke. Don't touch me. Descent leads to division, and division leads us to move. You, mumble happy feet, must go. Don't you take one step, sweetheart. You have as much right to be here as any of these daffy old fools. Norma Jean, I'll go with this. Huh? <clears throat> mumble, you must renounce your so-called friends. Your peculiar thoughts, your, your strange ways. If we are devout, sincere in our praise, the fish will return. Listen, boy, I was a backslider myself. I was careless. Now I'm paying the price. What's this got to do with Mumble? That's why he is the way he is. But there's nothing wrong with him. Face it, Norma Jean, our son's all messed up. He's not messed up, you hear me? I know where you are. How can you say that? You said he was just an egg, I dropped him. Mom, I'm perfectly fine. No, no, you're not, boy. Oh, I say, you must stop this freakiness with the feet. Your father speaks wisely. He is suffering hard and repent. But it just doesn't make any sense. Your arrogance leaves us no choice, no way. And the statement that it was making to you as a kid 
is that individualism is more important and that those that would want you to conform to community are really just oppressive and they have oppressive ideas and especially those church people they really have oppressive ideas and so anti-authoritarianism relativism individualism skepticism i mean think about all of that 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 is promoted in this and a thousand other songs and tv shows lessons parables uh, that, that you're going to be able to hear but you you can kind of see it but you only see it now because we brought it up this is the stuff that has shaped your mind this is one of the very small ways but one of the thousand ways that the world is trying to shape your brain into its mold but it's also the way that the brain has already shaped the world has shaped in the brain of all of the young men and women that God is going to put in your path know that they're already fully in they've drunk the the, the happy feet kool-aid they think only in, the, in those terms and they only see through that very lens so it makes it very difficult but here's the deal is because then they, they have this you, you've got to uh, you, you've got to be able to meet them where they're at Postmodernism, a philosophy says that absolute truth does not exist. Postmodern thinkers deny long-held beliefs, maintain that all viewpoints are equally valid. This is the bumper sticker I wake up to every day across the street from me. Uh -huh. But the number one virtue that that all postmoderns hold to is tolerance. That is held in the highest esteem, put on the highest pillar. But here's the big difference. Postmodern's veneration of tolerance, while it's its most obvious feature, the version of tolerance peddled by postmodernists is, is actually a twisted and dangerous corruption of true virtue. You know, tolerance is never actually mentioned in the Bible as a virtue. Uh, except in the sense of being patient, forbearing, long-suffering with, with one another. We've got that in Ephesians 2. But this contemporary notion of tolerance is a feeble concept compared to the love scripture commands that Christians are to show even to our enemies. We're to love our enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who spitefully use you. Luke 6. And when our grandparents spoke of tolerance as a virtue, that's what they had in mind. And the word meant respecting people, treating them kindly, even when we believe that they're wrong. But the postmodern notion of tolerance means that we must never regard anyone else's opinion as wrong. Or to put it more plainly, Christians tolerate people. Postmoderns tolerate ideas. And if the idea that we as Christians hold is that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through me, that is an intolerant position on the part of postmoderns. And, and this is a dialogue that you need to be good and ready to be able to have. And when the apostles then preach, there is, there is no name under heaven other name under heaven by which men must be saved and the only name is Jesus and the fact that there is only one way to God is anathema to the culture that is around you and what they will of course accuse you of being is not only intolerant 
but narrow-minded, closed, bigoted, prejudiced in, in all of your views. And, and here's the, the, the way that I've happily refuted this. I was like, well, it said, do you believe, though, that Jesus really did come and die out of love for us and shed his blood so that we might have redemption and reconciliation to God? And, and most uh, postmoderns will be like, yeah, yeah, I do believe. I do believe that that, that that could be the case. I think that is the case. And, and I was like, well, then, is it so wrong for God to give you and me his one and only son, have him tortured to death and be defiled by all of my sin, only then to be humiliated, spat upon, rejected by all authority on earth at that time, crushed for, for all of that, buried, and then rise again to overcome all that rejection that had come his way to be able to pave our path. And often people are like, you know what, you know what? that's kind of cool that that's the case. I was like, well then, God is a monster if you think there are other ways. And they often ask, why? I was like, because if there's any other way, the fact that he had his son go through that is bizarre. If all I needed to do was climb a mountain and appreciate the sunrise, Rather than God having to send his son to be tortured and defiled, humiliated, spat upon, and, and ultimately crushed and, and, and killed, and all, all it really had to happen, what do you think Jesus would say to God? Whoa, 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 check it out, Father God. You mean that was an option? To think happy thoughts on a mountaintop rather than what I just went through? And I still went through with this? That would make no sense at all. And is it so wrong that God having done that, that he now pleads with us through his prophets and through his servants that we connect in this beautiful, amazing act of love that he has provided so that we could connect to him. If there's any other way, then this is a horror show. But if this is the only way, this is the most beautiful expression of love that we could ever begin to imagine. So, again, to, to tolerate other ideas that set themselves up against the knowledge of Christ, that ends up being completely bizarre and intolerant to anyone who appreciates the love that Jesus has shed for us and brought to us. And so, but, and, but of course, we love everybody. We really do. We love our enemies. We're as diverse as you can imagine. We have a, a, a toleration of people. We love old people, we love young people, you, you name it, we love them. All stripes, colors, you name it, that's really the case. In any of our campus ministries, you can, you can show it to somebody. But for all of us, having overcome every single issue of intolerance that plagues society, to then recognize that it happened because of God's love for us, to throw away that love for God, because you say that it's narrow? Well, that makes no sense. That makes no sense whatsoever. But we've got to be good at the story. Because here, here's also why. Because in, in, in facing down postmodern objectors 
or even seekers, we got to understand that they're coming from a place where they do not like strong leadership. Even in our church, we've got to recognize this. That in our church, we're, we're actually under siege because postmodern thinking has come into all of us as members. And you got to admit, there are times when a leader has been strong where you're like, dude, a little over the top. Or why are you deciding? Shouldn't we all kind of, you know, kind of brainstorm and have focus groups? Maybe have some divergent thinking before we get into, diver into convergent thinking? Maybe we should go about it in that way. We, we all are subject to this more than you realize. And so this is not just somewhere out there. This is actually for us inside the church. Church discipline. Oh my goodness, you want to talk about something that post-modernity is going to be like nails on a chalkboard? Well, well, how about exercising church discipline? 1 Corinthians 5, and you are proud that we read yesterday, should you not rather put that man out? Well, we don't do it because we've got some sort of a lust for power or, or blood in, in these cases. We would only do it because we've humbled ourselves to live in accordance with the word of God that Jesus has provided us. And we, we're going to trust in his approach rather than in our own understanding. Uh, of course, the, the one way for salvation, you know, that's going to bleed over, and we, we're going to face this a million different iterations. You know, one of the big ones is, how about then do we say, you, you probably had this conversation a dozen times over, you know, staying up late at night at camp or in the dorms or wherever, are we the only church? Is, is that what's being said? Are we the only church? And you know, it doesn't matter how many times we say it, we don't think we're the only church. But I do think we are the church. Because if we're not the body of Christ, then what are we? And if we come across any other group that looks like what we, we see in the Bible, well, who's not going to raise a cheer? And maybe we try to get together, maybe we don't. I don't know uh, how, how that's all going to work. But we have so much work to do right now, we haven't made it our priority to go out on some sort of a, a seek and discover mission to just you know, knock on the door of every other fellowship out there because what we found is it turns out not to be so profitable. And at some point, pragmatism does kind of help us to understand, what do I want to do as a minister? Do I want to keep trying to make these overtures that have gone nowhere again and again and again? Or do I want to get down to really training up people and discipling and helping to build up the fabric of the body of Christ that, at least as far as I know, it is the body of Christ. And again, we're, we're not here you know, trying, to, trying to have this idea that every other person out there, oh my goodness, how could you even imagine that? Uh, hey, if it's the case, amen. Who's not going to celebrate that? Uh, so please keep, keep that one clear. Uh, repentance. The fact that you need to change, that, that rails against postmodernism. And that fact you have to change according to a standard other than the heart inside of you or the music of your heart uh, is, is really one that, that, that does you know, rail against one. The other one is community life. Communal living is as, as far into a postmodern world as anything right now. When you study repentance with people, you need to include in repentance that you go from a mindset of individualism to a mindset of community. We no longer live for self, but we live for the common good. And we live for the body of Christ. That we weren't just baptized into Christ and now we just have a direct line to Him. But we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. And we were baptized into body life with Him. But despite all of these being things that 
will always be railing against us. And, and by the way, if you're not living community life right now, brothers, you got to take a hard look at, at really asking yourself why. Have you killed yourself for the sake of Christ? Are you still a single seed that remains only a single seed? Or are you that single seed, John 12, that has fallen to the ground and died so that it can be so much more? Do you no longer live for yourself, but instead for him who died for you and was raised again? These are not just questions for post-modernity. These are questions that we got to wrestle with. And every passing year, it will become more okay for individualism to find a place in the church. But it can't be okay. The more that we start to try to assert ourselves and go after entitlement, the more that we're going to undermine what it is to be the church. There should be among us no selfish ambition or vain conceit. But everyone should have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. Philippians 2. That is a complete selflessness life that we entered into as we were overwhelmed with the beauty of the grace that was given to us. We get a new lease of life. Thank you, Jesus. How do I not want to express that by really being able to honor you by, by helping your body on earth to be all the more glorious? But finally, I just want to give a couple practicals on how can we be more effective in our outreach? in a postmodern world. And uh, number one is sincere tolerance. We should pray for our enemies. On Memorial Day, one of the big things that we make it a point to do is that we have people that come up that serve but in the armed forces, but their prayers are only for our enemies. And it's kind of mind-blowing. And you see how difficult it is to be that countercultural when you do so. But when someone is of a postmodern mindset and they hear that, they begin to realize, holy smokes, I thought I was some sort of a rebel in this society. These cats think different. There's something really appealing to that. Uh, and, and sincere tolerance also means that we really are loving, loving, loving all people. That it ought not be that there's any sort of a clique that surrounds itself by some sort of a socioeconomic norm in, in any of your, your fellowships whatsoever. If that's happening, bust that thing up. And when people come into our fellowship and see our love for one another, it will be unmistakable. And, and they'll finally see God-delivered tolerance that they've always been longing for. Uh, the other thing that is the buzzword that you guys know is authenticity. The minute that you do a Bible talk and you're being a little bit fake in that Bible talk, somebody who's postmodern is with a postmodern mindset, they smell it. They smell good. If you're kind of you're kind of exaggerating your testimony in some way or another, that's gonna come through. And so we we need to be authentic to the core. But in our authenticity, We've also got to be authentic to the Bible, to the core, no matter what. And if you're going to study out what it is to be a pure man, well then, my goodness, better be that you've decided to allow the grace of God to teach you to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live 
controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age as you wait for the glorious appearing of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Titus 2, 11 and 12. 1 Thessalonians 2, 8 says, Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. You know what converted me to the gospel? It wasn't the gospel only. It was the gospel and those three guys who actually lived it out. But here's what's interesting, is when Paul, then a couple verses later, says in Thessalonians, and we thank God, because when you received the word of God, you received it as it actually is. The word of God and not the word of man. By you having a life that aligns itself with the word of God and sharing that, doesn't mean that that person puts their faith in you and your life. Paul says it's just the opposite. You allow the Bible to spring to life. You allow the Holy Spirit to reinforce all those words on the page. And you allow the Holy Spirit to take away every single excuse from that person that you're helping to bring the Bible to. But that's costly. You've got to deny yourself. You've actually got to take up your cross, live your life for a greater cause. The, the video games, by the way, my goodness, if, if that's a passion of your life, well then toss it. You've got a bigger battle before you. Do you just want to be virtual warriors? I'm a man. I'm, I'm doing great things. The reason that you do that is because you do like the endorphin rush. We all do. But you actually have a real battle to fight. You have a real adventure to live. And it's not virtual. Well, but, but what? what? What is it? Just walk outside. Bump into the first person you meet and just... Get in on it. That, that's all that it requires. Get off the couch, brothers. Get off the couch. Nobody's going to be inspired by what level that you've reached in whatever game it is. But when they see that you're like, your campus is Che Guevara, by, by being out there, Che Guevara isn't somebody that they put on silkscreen t-shirts all the time because he was really good at, at, at you know, virtual reality, he actually made a difference. That, that's, that's the kind of the icon that, that so many pursue in, in this age. You get to be that. Like, uh, what, a, what an amazing gift. You have a life of significance. It's what every man wants. And God has given it to you. You know your reason for being. As the French say, your raison d'etre. You actually know your reason for being on this earth, and it's nothing less than to be Jesus' arms and legs and to change this world. Man, I bet if, if you could have the 30-year-old you come back and talk to the you now, and they would sit down and talk to you, probably one of the first things that that 30-year-old you would say is that, guess what? Uh, or let's say they go back to the 15-year-old uh, the you, right? So 15 years back. And, and, and they're going to sit you down and they're going to say to you, all right, this Christmas, you're going to get an Xbox One. Or you're going to get a, a PS4 or whatever came out when you were 15. What was that? Okay, whatever it is. <laughs> all right? Now, listen to me. This is the 30-year-old you now grabbing you by the collar. Listen to me. Listen to me. I'm serious about this. And you, you may not think, and you may not have it within you, the will to do this. But if you do this, who we are when we're 30 is going to be massively different. So when mom and dad give you that gift, here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to take it out to the garage. I want you to go get the baseball bat. I want you to crush that thing into dust and leave it and walk away from it, spit on it, and go live a life worth living. Because you got bigger things to do. You're going to be used by Jesus to change the world. And get rid of that. Be authentic in what it is that we say we really are as Christians. The postmodern world wants countercultural. Well, you are. You're bizarre. Don't be afraid to be bizarre. Sometimes I want to be so relatable that nobody actually can even tell that, that I'm a, a Christian. Why not be a bit odd in your approach? Why not be upfront? Why not say Jesus? Why not put it on out there? But in your, in your countercultural approach, it also needs to fly in the face of even the, the authority structures of this world. Uh, and and, and that's, that's fine that you recognize that authority is jive. But as long as you're doing it respectfully, but, but also as, as long as you recognize that it's Jesus' values. If you hold to the Sermon on the Mount, you are as countercultural as it could possibly be. And that, that needs to be dripping off your lips. That needs to be the way that you make sense of, of everything again and again. Uh, also, because this is so important to this age, and you know this, it's, it's a time of compassion. What we decided to do in our, our campus Bible talks is instead of having five Bible talks at ODU, we now have four, sometimes three a week. Why? Because those other two, they go and they feed the hungry. And the people that come to that often outnumber the people that come to our Bible talks. It's not as though we're not trying to connect them to the gospel, but if you want to reach this world, well, how is it that you're participating fully in Jesus? Teaching, preaching, and healing. And if you're not doing all, you know what? Jesus would kill it in a postmodern culture. Jesus would be an astounding figure on your campus. He would be what people would flock to because these are all the things that he does. They would see his love, his, his healing, his compassion, his un, unabashed lack of fear to, to really come before authority in, in any time that he needs to do so. Well, guess what? You're his disciples. To be the same thing in a postmodern world is going to be saying to one another, have you seen that group? Yeah, yeah, they're bizarre. And maybe some people are calling them a cult to try to discredit. But they're the real deal. Super authentic. And... Two last things. We gotta reclaim the Holy Spirit. This is an age that actually does appreciate spirituality. But if we don't quickly get in tune with the very spirit that dwells within us, we're gonna miss the boat on a lot of people that really need to know Christ. And, and, and for me, I've let it be okay that, that I share with people, you know what? I, I really have, I, I think, sometimes when I'm sharing with people, this may sound strange to you, to be talking to somebody, but I was about to walk away, but just, I, I'm gonna only chalk it up to the Holy Spirit knocking me upside the head to say, come back and talk to this guy. And so, because of the Holy Spirit's prompting, I'm here talking to you. Can you tell me maybe what, what it is that maybe we should be talking about right now? And, and can I help you anyway? With, and, and I'm like, I'm not really sure. I got no rap right now. All I have is a Holy Spirit you know, bringing me to your doorstep. And let's see where we go from here. Tell me what's going on.
And I, I can't tell you the conversations. I mean, amazing stuff that, that happens again and again and again from just really uh, living my life in alignment with the Spirit, not being afraid to actually talk about it with people. And being cool doesn't work. It really doesn't. I, I can do that, I think. But it gets me nowhere. And then finally, something you guys have talked about is that propositional truth falls flat. You can have an if A equals B and B equals C and A equals C type argument in your sermon, and it will just be like, ooh, BB's off the tank as, as you share this incredible insight. But you turn that into a story, oh my goodness, this age is suddenly on the, on the edge of its seat. Think about even, even while I'm talking now, when I tell you a story about me interacting with somebody, you guys are engaged. Well, I'm just kind of talking to you about some facts and figures. With you guys are like, yeah, okay, I hope he gets somewhere else in a minute here. But it, it, I, I get it. It's just the way that we're all wired right now. But we have the most powerful stories on earth. Your elevator testimony, your, your 30 second, two minute, five minute testimonies, that stuff is gold. And it needs to be something that you share again and again and again. But that's not the only story that you need to be able to tell. You need to be able to tell the story of Jesus. You need to help people know the great meta-narrative of creation, fall, redemption, and ultimately restoration of all things. You need to be able to tell the story of Jesus. Have that ready to go. And make it something that inflames you with passion. But every time you have a service on campus, there ought to be a testimony. Every single time. I mean, that stuff is gold. And nobody has testimonies like we do. Because we are authentic. We really have been changed. We really have repentance. We're not just a bunch of people, oh, I, I felt teary-eyed at, at the sermon, so I came forward and I prayed Jesus into my heart. And yeah, I, I still slept with my girlfriend for the next couple months, but I'm working on it. But I'm just so glad that Jesus loves me. And you hear that, and it's like, that was nothing. <laughs> but even just hearing your stories the last couple days, it's like, wow. Wow, the work of Christ really powerful. I mean, it increased my faith hearing, hearing what it is that you guys are sharing. You got what it takes, by the way. You got what it takes to kill it in a postmodern world because you can have tolerance. Look at this room. Bag them on tolerance. We, we got that. Costly integrity? Yeah. You might have to take a, a hard look at have you really taken up the cross, denied yourself, and followed him. Countercultural? Hey, don't be afraid to speak truth to power. Don't be able to be afraid to take a stand where, where it requires. Touch the untouchables. I think it's worth reorganizing the way that you go about being Jesus's arms and legs uh, to, to make sure that that's a big part of what it is that you do. And then uh, reclaiming the Holy Spirit. We've talked enough about that already today. And, and then, of course, you got the power of stories. You got what it takes. You were so well positioned as young men. To, to bring the gospel, to bring Jesus to this world, I can't wait to see what does he do. Don't be daunted by postmodernism. My goodness, God has shaped you. Jesus would, would thrive in, in, in this culture. And, and you're the body of Christ. And Jesus has shaped you and prepared you for just such a time as this. Go get him. Go take this postmodern world and let's see the gospel spread at an even more amazing rate than ever before. Thanks. Amen. Amen.